So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. The entire industry, and then, you know, taking that and building something else. You know, Daniela has so you know many ideas, so many technologies that she's developed. There's so much more that we can do. It's not that. So I'll let you, like, add into that, too. <laughs> Yes, yes, no, I mean, I was going to say exactly that, that I think that we're both very clear that we started this because we have a clear goal and what we want to make, you know, in the chemical industry. So whatever path takes us there in the best way possible, we're open to it. You know, if if then, you know, if we see that somebody just wants to buy it to put it on a shelf, then we might be like, no, you know, we're going to fight for it. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got... Daniela Blanco and Miriam Spetti, which I think I pronounced incorrectly. Tell us how to say it right. That's beautiful. Miriam Spetti, very beautiful. <laughs> okay, so you guys are doing some cool stuff. Tell, tell people what you're up to. Yeah, for sure. So so we are the co-founders of Synthetics. What we do at Synthetics is we essentially accelerate chemical innovation. We do so by leveraging small data machine learning, which is not something that you hear about a lot. But essentially by using our tools, process chemists in the industry can generate insights equivalent to thousands of experiments um, by using only a couple experiments and essentially accelerating their development time for new and more sustainable processes by about 75%. So can you run us through an example there? Yeah, of course. So I'll let Daniela kind of talk about because she's uh, really the chemical engineer there. I kind of talk through what it looks like from from that side. Yes, yes. So I think that the best way to think about it is imagine that as a chemical engineer, your job is really to come up with the best process to make something that's useful, right? So it's the same as coming up with the recipe to make something that you need. And then as an engineer, normally you would have to run hundreds of experiments to find out what the right conditions are and what that recipe really looks like. And then what we do is that we use machine learning to instead help you figure out the recipe much faster. The problem is that normally machine learning uses a lot of data, so people still have to run so many experiments that cost money and time that it doesn't really become that valuable. And what we do is that we develop a tool that actually uses very small data sets. So you run only a few experiments and then you're able to figure out that recipe as fast as possible. Can you give us an example of one of those recipes or you know what you can share? Yes, so we actually started doing this, figuring out how to best make a precursor for Nylon 6-6. So as you may know, Nylon is in all of our clothes, swimsuits, a lot of different things. And then now we're working with the, pr- the processes to make molecules for pharmaceuticals. So let's dig into this nylon one for a second. So normally they would have had to done how many experiments because of the way you're doing things, it was what was different. So normally this is a process that actually has been in the industry for over 50 years. 
But developing a new process from scratch, like that takes any chemical engineer years to, to run as many experiments and then figure out the right process for it. In our case, we started with something, you know, we, we wanted to do something new with the process. So it's as in, imagine that we brought, we bought like a brand new oven and then we needed to figure out how to use that correctly. And instead of having to spend years doing that, we did the experiments in only a couple of months and we were able to figure out what was the optimal performance for it and found actually a way to make 30% more of the material. So you can think of it as making, you know, using the same raw material, but making 30% more of what you need. My, my inner investor really likes those numbers. So, <laughs> and, and, Wait until you hear Miriam talk about the business side. Those numbers are going to like very much too. <laughs> um, so, and, and just, well, let's stay on this for one second. So, and was this stuff, now were you both at NYU or where did you guys meet? Yeah, yeah, we were both at NYU. So, so Daniela was doing her PhD. I was doing my bachelor's, both in chemical engineering. And we actually worked in the same research group. So I was uh, developing a thesis for solar hydrogen generators and trying to understand how to make those more viable for the industry. And Daniela was working on that development of that nylon precursor that she was mentioning. And the way that we met essentially, so we worked together on a couple projects, specifically on like a, a Ethereum project that was later used for hurricane relief and like energy system storage. And that's how we started meeting. We started just kind of talking and just being friends. And that was, that was about it. But, you know, Daniela's project was obviously super interesting and it was gaining a lot of traction. It got a lot of interest, um, specifically from the H&M Foundation was one of the first ones that, that came around. And so, you know, there was this idea of like maybe commercializing it and taking it out of just a research lab and doing something out of it. And I think, you know, Daniela and, and at the time, Miguel, who is a professor that was working, Professor Modestino, that was Daniela's PI, was, you know, we're looking for someone else to join and potentially help with the commercialization of, of this technology. And that's kind of how I ended up uh, on board there as well. Cool. So can we just dive into the story a little bit? How, how does H&M even hear that you're working on something like this? So um, the H&M Foundation has what they call the Global Change Award, and then they give funding to different ideas uh, that will help improve sustainability within the textiles industry. And since we were trying to develop this technology precisely to make Nylon 6.6, it seemed very useful and interesting for them, and they were actually the first people to put money to finance my PhD working on this project. Of course, then a lot of things happened, and we ended up still developing the technology, and it can be used for Nylon but also for many other molecules. But that's pretty much how I was born, just thinking about nylons and how to make, how to have a, an environmentally friendly fashion industry. <laughs> Very cool. And so at, at what point did the two of you, or, or tell, tell me just a little bit of the origin story here of from NYU to synthetics? Yeah. So, so essentially I, so I, I was close to graduating. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I thought, you know, up to then I had been essentially just working and, and getting the grades to go and work in a big company at the time, preferably a global company like BASF, because my grand plan was to work at a big company and just like move from place to place. But, you know, there was something that I felt was missing there. And essentially I wanted to do something that had a little bit more impact. And so that's kind of how I ended up working with, with synthetics. We were like, you know, both Danielle and I have this vision of a more sustainable chemical industry. So we're chemical engineers and we're probably one of the first generations where we're actually looking at how do we make chemicals, not just in a way that's more efficient and less expensive, but also in a way that's more sustainable. And so kind of that vision is what brought us together 
And, you know, neither of us having any kind of entrepreneurship background or even any business background, our first kind of goal was to enter a couple competitions at NYU and just try and learn as much as possible from the resources that were there. And we literally, like our plan was to strategically lose the main uh, competition, which was the Entrepreneurship Challenge at NYU, just to gain as much knowledge as possible. And it's, it's a stellar competition. It's got lots of workshops. We learned a lot from it. And we actually ended up winning it. So that was kind of like a, a good side thing that came out of it. And, and Daniela has a really interesting kind of story of, of how she got into you know, chemical engineering and, and sustainability in the first place. Yes, yes. So I actually, I'm from Venezuela originally. So in Venezuela, everything is about the oil industry. And that's how I always wanted to be a chemical engineer and be part of that huge industry. But then I realized that I wanted more of the sustainability aspect that I didn't feel was necessarily, you know, like, like really leading their efforts there. So I came to NYU to do a PhD in chemical engineering and figure out how to develop more environmentally friendly processes. But as Miriam said, you know, like once we did this competition and we actually got money, that's when it became real to both of us. <laughs> and it suddenly became like, you know, this huge opportunity to really, you know, make a difference and do it like in our own way. Like we were literally, you know, like leading and pushing everything forward. So it feels at moments very scary, but it's also super exciting. So I'm very grateful. And so you, you started the business a little over three years ago. Is that right? Yeah, that's like essentially when we when we first got together and started the first competition. So I don't even know if it was a business at that point, but yes. <laughs> okay. yeah, it was just a night talking about it. So. <laughs> and, and so what's the revenue model for a business like this? Do you recognize something first and go find somebody who would benefit from it? Or do they find you or how does that work? Right. So, so the way that it's set up, it's an enterprise software type of um, product. So it's, it's an annual subscription is what the revenue model looks like. And the interest that we have is both outbound and inbound. So there are people who reach out directly to us because they've seen us, you know, present at a conference or they've seen, you know, an article about what we're doing and we'll just, you know, want to learn more. And essentially the way that it works at these early stages, right, because we are pretty early stage, we, you know, developed a prototype and right now we're essentially testing and piloting that prototype with our market. And so at this stage, what it looks like is we do an engagement project. So, you know, one of the biggest questions that companies will ask is, how do we know that this works, right? Like, how do we know that this actually predicts what we want it to predict? And so the way that we do that is we do this engagement project with them, which is really short. It's maybe like one or two months and it's process optimization. So it's a process that they already know, that they already understand, they already have data for but they just feed in uh, some data points to our technology and essentially see if the insights that are generated match what they have or you better yet find a better point that they didn't find in the first place. And so that's essentially how that looks. And that helps us build our case studies and build credibility in a market that's pretty traditional and doesn't like to take too many risks. And then using that to kind of start onboarding more users on an annual software, um, annual subscription basis. And so for people who don't know anything about your space, what's, what's advice that you have based on what you've learned so far? <laughs> that's a great question. I'll let you go, Daniela. <laughs> I just, I was just laughing, thinking, because I feel like every time they ask me that question, I answer something different <laughs> because I feel like, you know, there's so many things that we have learned as we have gone through this, but 
I think that, you know, one of the main learnings that I've gotten is that it's very, very important for you to always try something new that you know nothing about. You know, I feel like for me, it was very much, I was immersed in this world of deep tech and a PhD and, you know, taking the time to really learn more about the business and how we can commercialize this and how I can build things that can really have a use out there. I feel like it opens your mindset and it helps you like see things more clearly and kind of keep in mind, you know, the big picture of where you're going. And so I feel like, it's very easy when you're studying something to go deep into the details and forget that big picture. So as much and as many times as we can, you know, learn something new and take ourselves out of that. And again, look at the big picture. It's always useful to keep moving forward. Yeah. What would yeah. you say, Miriam? Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. I think I'll complement it with kind of like how, you know, you look at the big picture and then kind of like, what do you do next? Right. So a lot of times Daniela and I have been in situations where we're like, this is this big goal that we want to achieve. And this is super motivating. This is what we want to do. But like, how the heck are we going to get there? You know, how is this going to happen? And I think probably one of the most, you know, useful qualities to develop as an entrepreneur, and I think just in general, is how to break down that, you know, big goal into achievable steps and, and how to get there and understanding, you know, what are different things that you need to know and what are the things you need to validate in order to get to the point that, that you want to get to. And so I think my advice would be to, you know, really spend some time, even if it's a whole day, but just thinking about that and kind of writing that down and seeing if you can figure out what the steps are, even if they change afterwards and understand the why of each step. And that's been something that we both talk about a lot is understanding the why of your customers, the why of you, why of the investors, why of everything. Yeah. And I'll also say, like, don't ever be afraid of the things that you don't know yet. I think that the phrase that Miriam and I say most in our conversations, everything starts with, I'll figure out how to. <laughs> we never know how to do anything <laughs> when we start. And then it's always like, you know, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> so, so yeah, always just go for it. When it matters to you, you're going to figure out a way to do it. Well, you guys obviously have a talent for it. You know, I'm just looking on the highlights tab on the synthetics.io page and you guys won a lot of stuff, whether it's competitions or grants or, you know, 5,000, 25,000, 100,000, 120,000, 150,000. What do you, what do you attribute some of that to? You guys seem to be good at that sport. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'll say that I think it's a combination of several things. Like one of them, I think it always helps us that, you know, when people meet us, they see that we're really a team, you know, that we try to complement each other, that we never think we know everything. So we're not going to be overestimating what we know. We're always very honest. And then we say, like, this is what we know. This is where we want to get to. And this is our plan. And we are open to, you know, like hearing your feedback and changing or, you know, going around it. So I think that having that honest approach and then showing who we really are and why we want to go there, as Miriam said, like the importance of that why. I think that has been key to helping us, you know, get our message through. But I'll let Miriam share and say if she has another idea of why we haven't been successful there. Yeah, yeah. No, so we had this this conversation I think was actually really great. So we were, it, this was the entrepreneurship challenge, right? The, for our first prize is 100K, which was huge stakes. And, and we were in the, like the, we made it to the last round, which was absolutely wild to us. We were like, oh, well, how do you make it here? And we were, you know, just like, talking about, you know, how we're going to do this, this, you know, pitch and trying to put in all the feedback we got from the judges and the feedback we got from our mentors, et cetera. And, and we asked about what our competition looked like. And essentially what we heard was, you know, it's awesome that you guys got this far. Like, you know, you should be really proud. Most likely you're not going to win because everyone else is a lot further ahead than you are. And so Danielle and I looked at each other and we're like, 
all right, <laughs> what are we going to do? Because it's like, we got here this far. We're not going to give up now, right? Like, we got to try to figure out what we can do. And so we were like, you know, we don't have the revenue. We don't have all these other things that maybe these other companies have. But what can we prove to show that people that we will get there? It's just a matter of, you know, the time. And so we, we built this whole slide where we said, hey, in this past, like, six months that we've been working on this, here's everything that we did. Here's, you know, the letters of intent we've been able to get. Here's, you know, the, the product development that we've been able to achieve. And here's all of this interest. And so I think, you know, always taking the time for us to be like, hey, how can we prove ourselves? Because obviously we're two very young entrepreneurs. There's, we don't have a lot of experience behind us. So like, what are other ways that we can show the worth of what we're doing and, and what we're able to achieve? And essentially just showing that to the world and helping them kind of be like, well, now I want to invest in this team because look at everything they did. They're going to do so much more, which we are. <laughs> That's great. So AI can be such a buzzword. And, you know, we so many of us have like a vague inclination of what it is. Can you talk about specifically like the aspects of it? Like, can you, can you dumb it down for, for some of the rest of us a little? So you mean like what the AI is doing in our, mm -hmm. in our product? Yeah. Okay. So as I said, imagine again, right? You are a chemical engineer. You go to the lab. Normally you would have to run all of these experiments to find out what is the right recipe for you to make something. So what is the right temperature? What is the right concentration of this material? All of those things. And then what the AI does is that instead of having to run, you know, a hundred of those, you know, experiments, you could run like only, let's say 10. And then the AI takes that and it runs the different scenarios of what could happen for you automatically. It runs like hundreds, thousands of scenarios. And then it tells you, this is all the stuff that could happen. This is what will most likely happen. So based on this, this is your best recipe. And then instead of you having to figure that out on your own, the AI is doing that for you and it's speeding up the process so that you can really get to that point much faster and without a, a lot of the effort. Yeah. Is that clear or? That's yeah. great, sir. And, Did you have something I, to add, Miriam? Yeah, yeah. And I think that like one of the ways that we try to explain it sometimes is that, right, so, so because these are physical models, it means that everything has a relationship with each other. And most likely that relationship is some kind of mathematical equation. Now, what you can do is you can spend literal years writing out mathematical equations and trying to figure out what that equation is in order to apply it and then, you know, use it to extrapolate other points. But what machine learning does is, you know, we realize we don't need to know that equation itself as long as the computer understands what it is. So essentially the computer figures that out for you and, you know, makes those um, relationships between the different variables. And then you can just build on that and, and use that. And I think, you know, what Daniela isn't saying is that like, she actually went and coded those algorithms herself in order for them to work with physical models specifically and enabling us to not have to put in so much data in order to build those equations, but actually start extrapolating those equations much more easily from smaller data sets. And that's something that she's been able to do that a lot of people haven't been able to do so far. And so Daniela, how much of that did you have a base to work with versus you're doing completely from scratch? What's that process look like? Yes, so we're both chemical engineers. So our background isn't really, you know, in coding or machine learning, but I was really interested in it. I, I realized, you know, how powerful of a tool it could really be. And, you know, there is really a gap between like chemical engineers, we have a lot of issues and they can be solved with stuff that has been developed in computer science and mathematics and other places, but like no one is really connecting the two of them and building something to help us go back and forth. 
So that's where I started working on it. We started from like, you know, the most basic level, just watching videos from YouTube. And then, you know, we just grew with it. And then as we saw that it was just working, we made it more and more complex to the point where, as Miriam said, we have coded, have coded everything so that it works with our systems. It works with small data sets and it helps you really identify what is key to physical processes. So the idea is that I am leveraging what has been developed in machine learning, but we're, I'm all the time communicating that with what we know from chemical engineering. So it's kind of that, that first step to bridge the gap and really develop a tool that we can use in this world. You know, I feel like YouTube is one of the most underrated benefits <laughs> in our world today. I'm not kidding. I tell my wife all the time, like, honey, I got to pray and thank God for audible.com and YouTube. <laughs> like, honestly, there's so much, like so many of the smartest people, you can get access to such good information so quickly. And yeah. like, I, you, I feel like YouTube is drastically underrated because there's so many cat videos and there's so many of that kind of stuff that, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, we all waste time watching like a Mr. Beast video or something like that. Right. <laughs> but, but yet you look at this, like, how interesting is that? You know, that, that cat video central is the beginning of your AI company, right? <laughs> Yeah, I never thought about it like that, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, especially, so, yeah. Go so, ahead, I, mean, I was just going to say, like, especially, like, kind of, like, as, you know, as we said earlier, like, when Daniela was, like, don't be afraid if you don't know something, you'll figure it out. Like, YouTube, like, central to that, right? Like, if you don't know something, there are people out there that will help you figure it out. And that's the only way we've gotten to where we are today is leveraging all the people around us and all the resources around us. I think about this all the time. You know, we're, we, we own a, diff, a few different companies. You guys know that. And our real estate investment company, like, I think it's so amazing that I don't have to fly to New York and fly to Shanghai and fly to London, but I still get to listen to like, you know, the top guys from $500 billion Blackstone and $500 billion Brookfield and, and you know, individual billionaires from the real estate world, like Sam Zell, you know what I mean? Like, I get to hear such high quality, up-to-date information from these conferences that are, you know, 1500 bucks, 2,500 bucks to go, plus your plane tickets, plus you're not working, you know, and I just yes. get to stay home and watch that in my pajamas. Like it is, it's a huge efficiency, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's put just the tiniest bit more bones on this other than I watched YouTube and I ended up with an AI company that people are signing big letters. But so what, like for someone who, let's say someone is interested like you, and they, they don't know where to start. They're watching their first YouTube videos. Like what's the software you used in the beginning and what did you end up with later? Or what, like, are there libraries you're going to? What does that, what does that look like? Yes. So we started using, you know, basing it on YouTube, we started with MATLAB. So they were packages that were already made for it. And that made it very simple to use. And then- How do you, like, how do you spell that? What? MATLAB? MAD, like M-A-D-L-A-B? No, like M-A-T as in Tom. Okay. MATLAB. Okay. From mathematics. Wow. Yeah, for, for okay. your context, Watch the people from my love. He's like, that's not where it comes from. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have no idea. But for context, like that's like a typical coding like platform for engineers, scientists, that kind of thing, where it's like not fully coding, but more complex than a calculator, someone in between. Okay. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then, you know, I think that as you do more and more complex things in machine learning, you most likely start moving to other uh, coding environments such as Python. And then it really depends on what you have to do. There are a lot of libraries that are amazing for, you know, simple machine learning and for specific things that you need to do. In our case, of course, we had to take it a step further and then code a lot of the algorithms on our own. 
So it's a combination of libraries that already exist and things that we have coded and developed on our side. But but really, like, you know, to start, I would say as simple as MATLAB and then grow with what you want to do and then see only when you need it, then you start learning the next step. And so did was Python enough or did you have to go past Python? Right now we're using Python with with a few physical models that we incorporate with it, but it's it, it gets tricky. <laughs> when you say physical model, what does that mean? So it means that we have some physical constraints that we incorporate with it, but I can't go like really too much into detail, sure. you know, because of Python. Yeah. Yeah. So for people who are fascinated with AI but interested enough to maybe stick their toe in the water. Would you recommend a different path than you took, or, or would you say that's a great place to start? Well, I would say that's a great place to start. <laughs> <laughs> no, I honestly, I mean, at least I think that, you know, you start from the simple part just so that you can really understand and see how it works. But then unless you, you know, unless you grow little by little, you know, if you just try to go to the most complex thing, it becomes too much and too overwhelming. So I think that I think that it's a good place to start, especially because MATLAB is definitely very easy for you to use at the beginning. So I think it's a great place. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, Daniela's really, really smart. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, maybe I'll talk to the people who are more like me, probably, <laughs> where it's just like, you know, like you, you know, there's a lot of tools out there because I, I ended up, you know, just to understand what was going on, I had to like do my own research and try to understand and everything. So again, right, YouTube, like just intro to machine learning, right? The very basics is understanding like, how does it work? Like, what is it actually doing, right? And you start learning about like how it creates relationships, how it validates those relationships and what you need to do in order to make it better. And then, you know, there's easy projects that you can do where they essentially like guide you through it. And once you get kind of a sense of how that works, you know, if you have a specific idea in mind, again, it's that like making little steps to get there and just, you know, breaking it down into, okay, like here's one little part of what it is that I want to build. Can I try and code that? And I think, you know, one thing that like Daniela does really well is she will just do it, right? Like even if she doesn't know how to do it, she's going to be like, I'm going to spend a day and I'm just going to do whatever I can. I'm going to try whatever ideas come through my head. And not only does that, you know, kind of advance you already because you're like, all right, you know, like no matter what, I'll try to do something, but it also gives you a really good idea of what do you not know? Like, what are the actual questions that you have? And then you realize you're like, okay, this is where I need help with. And you can go find the resources or find the people that you need in order to get the help that, that, you know, you need to, to get to your goal. Okay. Let's, let's go the other direction then. Let's, let's talk about business. When it comes to, you know, the school environment, the academic environment, now you need to make money. Now you need to go get LOIs with big giant corporations that may have been around for one or two or 10 decades, right? Talk to me about the learning curve for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I'll start with like my favorite thing, which I think makes us laugh so much is that like, Daniela and I literally look like two 16 year old girls half the time. And like, I don't know if you can imagine like the two of us trying to go to like a chemical industry where like everything is experience-based, right? Like the way you gain credibility is by having 20 years of experience. And here we are, you know, looking like we're fresh out of high school <laughs> being like, hey, we developed this cool thing that you should use. So I'll tell you, there was a lot of learning <laughs> that came out of that. And I think part of it is trial and error, right? Like no matter what people tell you, like you need to make, you know, you need to go out and try and, and that's how you kind of understand but I think, you know, on the business side, both of us not having necessarily the experience, right? Neither the chemical industry experience nor the business experience. 
it ended up really being about that why aspect, right? So if we could understand why our customers, first of all, would not trust us, right? Because, you know, chemical industry is really big industry and any little thing that goes wrong, not only is that super expensive, but you're putting people's lives at stake a lot of times. So it's like, obviously in an industry like that, you want to rely on people that you know for a fact have a lot of experience. So as soon as you start to understand the whys of why people you know, trust or distrust something, then it's a lot easier to be like, all right, here's how we're going to help you get through that. You know, Here's what we're going to do on our end to make you feel more comfortable about what we're developing. And was that just talking to potential customers or talking to professors or how did you how did you get people to be honest with you? You know, because people like they say no politely, but they very often don't tell you why they said no. Yeah. So here's a, here's a good tip that I have that I learned kind of more recently. People love to say no 100%, but people also love to correct you. So if you ever really want someone to give you an answer, say something that you know is like kind of off. It's like not completely wrong, but it's not completely right because then like your human nature is going to be like, hey, no, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> So that is definitely like a tip that we use. And like, that's something that we always have like talked about. Like, you know, obviously being under experience puts us at a disadvantage, but it also puts us at a great advantage because we can come in and be like, tell me about it. Teach me about it. Tell me all you know, you know, and we'll learn from you. And people do love to do that, you know, despite, despite you know, all the other things that come into play as well. Interesting. Yes, well, yes, I'll say that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. That, like, Miriam is totally right, and she's really good at that. You know, she's amazing at, like, making, like, open-ended questions that then everyone just gives her a lot of information for. And then I always, like, you know, I'm, I'm tech, so I'm very specific on everything I ask and what I want to know and everything. So it's good to, like, have the balance. And then I'll also say, you know, Miriam made the transition to be, like, the student to CEO of Synthetics and, like, get all of these letters of intent and reach out to all these people and everything. Because, you know, she was also like very intent, like she didn't let, you know, anyone like treat her as if she was a little kid. And she also became the queen of LinkedIn. Like we have this slide where it was a joke, but it was the most honest thing. You know, we, we, we used to put like like a little icon of a spy and then it was like Miriam's face inside of it <laughs> because, you know, she would like figure out who knew who and who they were and where they were working and what they knew and what they, I wish she could ask and everything. And I think it really made a difference for us. You know, the fact that she took the time to really map all of our market out, who was important where and what information we could get from everyone. Every time she approached a conversation, she knew exactly what to ask and, you know, what she would get from it. So I think that that was really useful. I think that if she hadn't done that, it would have probably taken us way longer <laughs> to get to where we are. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> That's a good compliment. Yeah. So Miriam, give us, give us one of your LinkedIn tips. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I love, I, okay, I love LinkedIn tips. So, oh, there's a lot. Okay. Let me think about, you know, what would be the most useful one? Let's, let's go for top three then. Okay. Okay. The first thing I would do, okay, my top one is don't send people LinkedIn messages. And like, I think that's kind of what you want to do. Like you want to send an invite and you want to explain why you're like sending an invite. I personally have a lot more luck just sending an invite, nothing. People, you know, like maybe 50% of the time they'll say yes, 50% of the time they'll say no. Then once I have that, I go into their contact info, I find their email and then I email them directly. So like that's been really helpful because people are more like likely to answer an email than a LinkedIn message. And also it seems more professional and, and LinkedIn messages sometimes look a little like sponsored. It's like uncomfortable. You know, a lot of people don't feel super comfortable with that. So that would be tip number one. Tip number two is, 
you know, like build a network, right? So people are much more confident about accepting your invitation if you have mutual connections, if you're connected with other people in their company, if you're connected with, so like just building connections in the beginning is super helpful because then it opens up a lot, a lot of doors. And then I'll do four because there's another one. <laughs> so we then do 10. Let's keep going. <laughs> so then the third one is like LinkedIn is such a powerful tool in the way that you can search for things. So Daniela will tell you there are times when we first started, it's like customer interviews from scratch, right? Having absolutely no contacts in the industry. We literally sat down and we're like, all right, here's this company. Here's these roles that we're interested in. And we like looked up the companies, we looked up the roles and then just pressed connect. Every single person who had that company, who had that role, so many connections, so many. That took us so much time. <laughs> and But then, you know, that's how we kind of started building that. So, so definitely leverage all of the filters that you can use from location, you know, type, you know, even age range. You know, sometimes you're like, you know what? People in this age range answer me more than people in this age range. Age range. And did you do LinkedIn Sales Navigator or regular LinkedIn or what did you do? We did regular LinkedIn. I think we did like that LinkedIn premium that's like free for a little bit just to like be able to ask more people. Because after some time, like if you spend too much time, LinkedIn will be like, hey, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> so they'll actually block it out, which is how we kind of went back and forth between the two of us kind of leveraging both profiles. But, you know, we were two students, so we tried to be as lean as possible. We were like, we're, we're going to try and, and not spend money that we don't need to spend. So we look, we just use regular LinkedIn for most of that. And regular LinkedIn also just, it just has so much like features. If you spend time to really look through them, there's like a lot of features looking through your connections as well. You know, like if you have connections, you can look through who they know, asking for warm intros from them is also super, super useful. And then my fourth tip, which is probably like one of the more important ones, you know, once you get through that stage where you have that connection, you have that email, you have something Write an email that is so short, first of all, <laughs> where like, you know, you don't have to read a lot of things. You want one sentence that grabs your intention, right? It's like, you know, like there are a lot of companies struggle with blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we- yeah, like What's an example of when, what's example of when you've used? Yeah. So, so for companies, so we started with like a lot of pharmaceuticals, we started a lot with specialty chemicals. And so people that develop processes in these types of companies, and we were like, you know, we have developed a tool that accelerates your process development time by 75%. It's very simple. And like, you don't want to explain exactly what you do just then. Like people will always say, you just want a second meeting, right? Or you want a first meeting in this, in this, in this shot. So you just want to grab their attention enough that they're like, this might be worth learning more about. So, you know, so we developed a tool that accelerates, you know, your process 75%, like your process development time 75% and may also improve your yield. And we know for our customers, yield is super important. You improve the yield by like 2%, that's a huge cost savings for them. So that's an immediate something that, that they'll get their attention. And then my next one, which I drill in, and when, you know, when we build a team, I'm just going to drill that more and more. I think Danielle's like tired of me, <laughs> of hearing me say it. Like ask a question. Don't ever leave it open-ended. Always say, do you have time to meet on Monday at 2 p.m.? And then, you know, question mark. And then if you have a Calendly link, be like, you know, if that doesn't work, here's some other times. But always ask a question. So it's just really easy for the person to just, they just have to say yes. You know, or just have to say no. Can I just use 15, 15 minutes of your time? And, and that's something that I think we, we've learned a lot also over time is make the other person's job as easy as possible. Like your job is supposed to be hard. Their job is supposed to be just like one click, one yes, one, you know, whatever it takes. Isn't that a great recipe, no matter what industry you're in, though? The more oh. we take on their struggle, the easier it is for them to want our help, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, one of the things that is going to be kind of a focus this year for the show, we're, we're going to be talking more to our guests about this group. You know, the, the show is great, but the problem is it's kind of one way. You know, our listeners just get to listen, right? So we're, we're looking at launching something. We're calling it uh, Greystoke Live at this point. We're going to be doing like small industry groups and stuff specifically for investors like family offices, private equity funds that buy mid-market companies. And then for CEOs, founders who are looking at, you know, kind of this point of like most of the stuff in the business literature optimizes for cash flow. Hey, how do you get more income? But, but the problem can be like 10 years or 15 years down the road or five years down the road when maybe they get an offer. Somebody wants to throw more money at them than they've ever heard of before. And they realize some of the ways they've built the company don't make that, you know, make that transition harder or make them get a lower multiple than they could have because this wasn't built in, right? So we're looking at doing, you know, like small groups for venture-backed series A, venture-backed series B, you know, in healthcare, in SaaS or whatever, or, and then doing ones for baby boomers who are like, yeah, I've had the business for 30 years and I thought the kids were going to want it, but I don't think they do. Now, what do I, you know, do I sell it? Do I sell it to the employees? Right. So we're going to do these different specialized groups. So I'm interested knowing that for you guys, you're, you're earlier on in the journey, but you've got, you've got some indicators to say you're going to go someplace that most young organizations don't have startups don't have. As you think about this eventually, do you think about like, man, it would be great to ramp this up and get some huge amount of money and we can do our next adventure? Or do you think, no, I want to run this for the rest of my life? Or do you like, what does that, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really great question. I'm looking over. Yeah. I think that for us, right. Our vision is the same, right? Like our vision is making the chemical industry more sustainable. We want to take whichever pathways will help us realize that vision. So if that pathway is an acquisition by someone that can help us really spread this software throughout the entire industry. And then, you know, taking that and building something else. You know, Danielle has so, you know, many ideas, so many technologies that she's developed. There's so much more that we can do. It's not that. So I'll let you like add into that too. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I mean, I was going to say exactly that, that I think that we're both very clear that we started this because we have a clear goal and what we want to make, you know, in the chemical industry. So whatever path takes us there in the best way possible, we're open to it. You know, if, if then, you know, if we see that somebody just wants to buy it to put it on a shelf, then we might be like, no, you know, we're going to fight for it because we, we have fought this hard so far to build it. We want it to really make a difference out there. So, so yeah, we are, we are open to the path that will really take us there. Yeah. Very cool. So are there any organizations that you look up to? You're like, man, I like the way that they structure things. I like the way, you know, could be in your industry, outside your industry. Like, you know, these are, these are some of the hero organizations. When I think about Synthetics, I hope we're a mix of Google and Nike and BMW. I, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but like, is there any like Voltron, the robots fit together of like, these are people we look up to? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. I'll, I'll try, I'll put some companies out there. So we used to, we used to want to call ourselves like the Tesla of the chemical industry. So I think that, <laughs> in, yeah, yeah, I, that's, I figured that's why you were laughing. I was like, Here's something that we we tried. Yeah, we have had this conversation. <laughs> I think you know, in that sense, like we want to achieve the impossible, right? In the way that like a lot of Elon Musk's company have, right? So be able to do something that people might not have thought is possible, and just like break a lot of boundaries, especially when it comes to sustainability and be like, you can offer a product that's great, useful, that people love, and that's also more sustainable. That's one of them. I don't know if there's any, any other one you can think of. I'll, I'll tell you what of mine then. Yeah. So 
I think about like the really great alternative asset managers, Blackstone, Brookfield, these kind of guys, right? On their way to trillion in AUM and assets under management. And then I look at like what Michael Bloomberg did where he, you know, the media company is so well known. It's like a marketing arm that makes some money or like what Red Bull, you know, like Mm -hmm. their marketing arm is actually, is actually a profit center, you know? And then I look at like the really great CEO clubs or network groups. Like there's one called Tiger 21 for people who've had an exit, you know, they've, they've got $10 million of investable assets. And it's like, these intimate groups where it's not a bunch of salesmen at the networking group, you know, like it's like, it's literally just peer taught peer coaching. It's not like people like putting their card in their, you know, like shaking your hand with their card in the hand, you know what right. I mean? like just <laughs> trying to hand out as many business cards as they can. This is like real relationships from right. peers. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So like, that's an example for me of like, cause I think about, I like to steal this from here, this from there, you know, anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's a really good question. I think that that's stuff that we're still looking into in terms of like, you know, like the kinds of companies so far, we've kind of just been like, what do we want? You know, like, what do we, what kind of culture do we want? What do we want to achieve? And just kind of been going off of that. But I think we want to do more of kind of looking at how other companies structure things and see what we can get from that too. Yeah. Well, what's, what's something about your industry, your space that you see coming down the pipe that maybe, you know, us outsiders who don't do what you do every day that we don't, we don't realize, Hey, this is what's about to change. What do you, what do you think is happening in the next few years that maybe not everybody realizes? Well, I think that definitely something that we talk a lot is about electrifying the chemical industry. That is something huge. And that is part of what we're really trying to push forward. You know, the same way that we electrify vehicles infrastructure, there is now a huge movement to electrify the chemical industry. These are just chemical reactions that run with electricity. They're cleaner, they're more sustainable, they're more efficient, and they can open pathways to develop so many new products that we need in our day-to-day lives. So that is something that particularly like has me very excited because I think that, you know, that's such an exciting way to go and I think that it's really going to change the future of our chemical industry. I think that's a big one. And I hope everyone keeps an eye out for that one. Yes, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm crossing my fingers and working hard so that we can help it happen. You know, it's interesting. One of our clients, we, we produce a podcast for Bloomberg called uh, Switched On about renewable energy. And, you know, I've known those guys for, for a number of years. I was a client 10 years ago. And it's fascinating to me, like, seeing the cost of solar coming down at such a rapid rate and like the opportunities for people who like, you know, in hockey, I grew up in Edmonton in the eighties when Wayne Gretzky was a big deal. Okay. (laughs) And there's this, (laughs) there's this famous Wayne Gretzky quote about you need to skate to where the puck is going to be. And that's, you know, he's highest goal scoring guy in the league and all this kind of stuff. Right. And he said, that's one of his secrets was don't worry about where the puck is now skate to be where the puck is going to be. And I think about, you know, if people can start calculating instead of building a business model for what makes sense now or what makes sense historically, but people who can invent things for what's about to make sense in, you know, in three and a half years, you know, if the solar, if the cost to produce electricity from solar continues at current rate in three and a half years, we could do this business and it would make a ton of money. You know, our consulting side, we bring in these like FBI guys or like Delta force commandos to go do like motivation and sales training for sales teams. Okay. And we worked with these guys who do like door-to-door solar, right? Knock on your door. Hey, do you want to disconnect from the grid and get get it off your own roof kind of stuff? And you start seeing like those certain states where between an incentive, between an incentive and the comparable cost, like it's a, it's like a huge draw and they sell like crazy 
in those states, right? And it's it's a business model that like, it really didn't make sense even eight months earlier or 16 months earlier, that state was not, you know, it was a real uphill battle and somebody had to be a real eco warrior or something to want solar, right? Where when you show up and it, and it just makes money, doesn't matter what your politics are, it doesn't matter if you like renewables or not renewables, it just makes money. Holy cow, is that an easier sell, right? Yep, absolutely. And yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, there was a there was a time where we were really trying to include literally solar energy into what we were doing because of that. And I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, actually thinking through where things are going to go. And one of the things that, you know, I like to, to use as well is you know, there's the electrification and there's the digitalization of the chemical industry. Those are two really big things. And like, according to Accenture, that digitalization is going to unlock $550 billion of value. Like that's something that's just so nascent in the chemical industry that hasn't really been used to its full potential, that there's so much that can be done there. And you just have to like look forward a little bit, as you said. <laughs> And I only need a couple of those. Like they can keep the other 548, right? Right. So, um, so Mira, I'm, I'm interested as a, as a lifelong sales guy, you know, even when I was CEO of my own private equity fund, I still just felt like I was top, top sales guy. <laughs> uh, I'm interested who your mentors were, what books you looked up to, you know, what books you like or where you, you know, in addition to trial and error, where you feel like some of your business development philosophy has come from? Yes. Um, I'm going to have to shout out a couple people that are just like, just personal mentors. Yeah. That's been a lot of what we've been able to do. So, you know, the first thing that that we got and we're lucky to have is NYU's entrepreneurial lab. So it's called the Leslie E-Lab. And there's some fantastic mentors there that essentially helped us just understand from a very, very like, you know, starter kind of level, you know, how all of this works and, and what to think about. And the thing that they drilled into our head from the very, very start was customer interviews. So it's very lean launchpad methodology. And it was just like customer interviews, customer interviews, customer interviews, no matter what, like you always go back to the customer interviews. And so like, that's been the lifeline for synthetics is, you know, literally doing customer interviews, because again, you know, lack of experience, you can get that by going to your customers and actually understanding what their problem is and, and how they work. So, you know, that was kind of like the first part of it. And so, of course, you know, Steve Blank has to be thanked for that. He's, you know, the main person there. And I think after that, you know, we were recently in the Techstars Accelerator. So we had some fantastic mentors there, both at Techstars and the Heritage Group. And, and you know, people that were in the chemical industry, people that weren't in the chemical industry, and just kind of worked with us every step of the way. We, we really try to focus on mentors who will work with us, will understand that, you know, we don't know everything and we are new to this, but we learn very fast. And so essentially those are some kind of the mentors. Books wise, I know a lot of good book recommendations, but I'm going to be completely honest with you. I am the worst with nonfiction books. I like my fiction books and everything else. I like to learn on the spot. Like I like learning by talking to people and hearing from them rather than reading about it. So I'm probably the worst person to ask that question to. <laughs> Well, I, I love your answer. And it's, it's funny, you know, I, I started my first business 19 years ago now, right? And a couple of them made a lot of money. And the other like 10 or 12 of them were total disasters, right? And, <laughs> and it's funny how I've had to like relearn that lesson. You know, this year, I, I had Steve Blank on the show, right? Nice. <laughs> advice he gave me. I had Brad Feld on the show who started Techstars, yeah. you know, and after two and a half billion dollars in his, in his <laughs> venture funds and doing all this, he's telling me stuff like that. 
a David Kidder on the show. He's exited a couple of $50 million tech companies. Same thing. Yep. Bob Mesta, who worked with Clayton Christensen at Harvard on the jobs to be done and disruptive innovation stuff, right? Same thing. And what would happen is I'd have him on the show. I'd be inspired by him. We'd have a little talk afterwards, tell him what I'm up to, get their advice. And, and they were basically all saying the same thing. Like, oh, Jess, that's really interesting. You know, Steve Blank's like, why don't you, you know, like, I'll tell you what, Jess, if you were in my class, I would tell you, go do, go do 10 interviews a week for 10 weeks yeah. and then come back and tell me, you know, yeah. <laughs> and like, the, like these guys I looked up to so much, just kept giving me the same over, advice over and over. And I realized like, I think it was like a lack of humility on my part of like, I just, I wanted to believe because I'm selling to entrepreneurs and I am an entrepreneur. I've been around entrepreneurs for 20 years that I know what needs, I know what they want. Mm -hmm. right? right. And just yeah. my default of like, if I'm honest, there was a lot of assuming instead of asking, right. You know, yeah. <laughs> and like, I, like today I was literally re-listening to the startup owner's manual from C blank on audible. Yes, right. It's a great one. <laughs> and it, it's interesting. Like, it's almost like it's so simple. It shouldn't work. It should, it's like, it should be harder than that or something. Right. Right. But it, it takes the like self mastery to humble myself and go like, even though I think I know I'm going to choose to act like I don't know mm -hmm. and actually ask and not do like leading the witness type asking, like really yep. ask, you know? Yep. <laughs> and it's, but it's like a magic trick once you do that. It is. And you find out so much more than what you even wanted to get in the beginning because people will, will talk and then you're like, wow, I didn't even think about that. And here's something that you said. Yeah. Like customer interviews are literally the lifeblood of, of startups. And I think, you know, what people don't realize too is no one, well, almost no one, there's probably are people, but like quite almost no one is an expert in what, in the market you're trying to sell to, you know, like you have to make yourself the expert into that. You know, it's not like you can find someone, it's not like you can call up Steve Blank and be like, Hey, I'm selling this product to this market. What do you think? Like Steve Blank's not going to know any more than you, you know, if it's a good product and if it's a good market, the only people that have the answer to that questions are your customers. So you have to go and ask them. Yeah. And also to remember to like, it's, it's always changing, you know, like it never stops. Like it, it's not sufficient to like do them, do the customer interviews at the beginning to understand how the market is. You have to like constantly keep doing them because things might change and they might want new things and add more or a new concern might come up. So, so I think it, it's, it's truly interesting, you know, how everything just comes down to going back and asking. Again, absurdly simple. All of us claim to have done it, but I think very few of us do it to the level that like Steve Blank, Bob Mesta, Brad Feld, that these people, like yeah. when they say it, they mean something different than what I used to do, what my friends do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's so, I mean, like, you know, you asked about advice for entrepreneurs, like programs usually, and like universities will have those programs. Obviously there's the i program, which is a government program. There's so many programs out there that are literally meant to make you do a hundred customer interviews. And it's just like, sometimes you need that. Like, I don't know if we would have done it if we weren't forced to, because I'm pretty sure we complained about it when we had to do it. You know, we were like, oh, that's so many interviews. Like, why do we even talk to so many people? Like, obviously we already know what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, like you have, sometimes you have to just be in a program where you're forced to do that. And and like, that's what you need to do. Because it's not always intuitive because, you know, you don't want to talk to a hundred. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time spent talking to people when you think you need to be building your company. And so so sometimes it's not intuitive and, and these programs can really help. Well, and my temptation is like, as soon as I get one, yes, I'm like, okay, well, let's build the business for them. Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, like I've had, so there's this new, new version of what we're looking at for that Greystoke live thing. Right. 
I've done three interviews in the last four business days (laughs) and all three of them said yes in a different version. I'm like, are we really going to do 97 more? (laughs) We already got these yeses, (laughs) right? And and like Steve told me before he would hire a marketing firm, who's like supposedly giving him all this insight of what he he would go do 200 to 300. Yeah. And then he would take all that data and go sit with a marketing firm and go, so here's what I know. What do you know that I don't know? Yeah. And he says it would scare off almost all the marketing firms out there. Absolutely. (laughs) And he's like, if somebody could look at my data and tell me they've got something to offer that I don't already know, I I was interested in talking to them. Not that they got hired, but that was like the prerequisite to should we have a meeting, you know? But it's interesting taking that level of personal responsibility, right? Because doesn't that yeah. just feel painful? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, you have to think about, there's so much more to your customer than just like, I like this product, right? Like there's so much more. And I think one of the things that like Daniela and I do really well is we will ask people to literally criticize the heck out of us. You know, we'll be like, you know, be mean, like tell us, you know, be like, you don't know anything. Like you don't know this, you don't know that because that will help us be like, okay, you know what, you're right, we don't know this, and we have to go figure it out. And and that's like the, the quickest way, you know, like, when we did those first customer interviews, we were like, all right, you know, like, everyone wants to be more sustainable. So why wouldn't this work? And, you know, we had people look at us, and we're like, really? <laughs> you know, like, maybe they want more sustainable, but like, are they going to pay for it? How do you know they're going to pay for it? What's their budget for that? You know, like, do they need to get approval? Who are they going to get approval from? And it's like, all these questions that we did not know the answer to that forced us to go back and be like, all right, we have to go and answer all these questions as well. Yeah, I'll also say one more thing that I think helped us a lot throughout this customer interviews was that it's interesting to see how different people will listen to the same answer. Meaning like, I feel like Miriam and I, you know, when we can, when we have like important calls or important meetings, we like to take those together because someone says something. And then when we talk about it after the conversation, one of us is like, oh, he's totally into it. And the other one is like, really? I thought he said more, you know, like he's more like cautious here and he wants this and he wants that. And usually I think that honestly, like probably the true is in between what, you know, what each of us got or, you know, like, or sometimes like one of us like literally missed something. So I think, you know, those customer interviews, it's not just important to know how to ask, but also to know how to listen. And sometimes the more perspectives you have there, the best, the better. That's such a good point. You know, as much as possible, I've been asking them if I can record a Zoom call so my partners could listen to it. And then as they've listened to them, they've brought up stuff that, you know, even though they weren't on the call, they got, they get the same info, right? And it's interesting what stood out to them instead of to me. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Well, in addition to going to synthetics.io and, and having a look at you guys there, sh- where should people follow you? Should they connect on LinkedIn? What, where, where else can we send people? <laughs> yes, please connect on LinkedIn. We also have a company profile on LinkedIn um, that you can follow so you can find out more about, you know, the big updates that we have and, and things that, that are going on. We do have a Instagram for some reason. <laughs> we don't have a, a Twitter or anything like that, but we do have an Instagram. It's synthetics underscore NYC. And these are all places where you can kind of keep track of what we're doing. There's a contact us button on our website. So, you know, we're always happy to hear from anyone. Um, always happy to, you know, talk to people, you know, hear about what, you know, some of the, the challenges are as well. And both Daniela and I have done quite a lot of mentoring as well. So that's something that we always like to put forward. Very cool. Well, this is great, guys. Thanks for making time for this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having us.